Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we invite Ike Mutabana. Hi, Ike. Hi, how are you guys? <laughs> Doing great. Welcome, Ike, and I'm going to give a brief background on Ike here. And Ike Mutabana is a stay-at-home dad and president of IHM Business Group. Ike used to be the CEO, a CTO of several startups in Boston for over a decade, and he now lives in Dallas, Texas with his wife and two kids and runs multiple small businesses. Well, we love that. Among Ike's businesses is multifamily syndication where he educates his friends to join him for investing in apartment communities. Ike is also the host of a weekly awesome podcast called The Side Business Show where he encourages stay-at-home parents and full-time employees to lead fulfilling lives and build wealth through small business ventures. And Ike enjoys mountain climbing and recently started training for technical climbs on roof or rock cliffs. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. All right. New challenges every day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Complete pleasure. I just see the two of you guys with your smiling faces and it makes my day. Oh, this oh, is thank great. You. <laughs> so, like we were just talking and, and it was so quick, but we had actually met just a little almost a year ago yeah. uh, at a conference uh, through uh, Joe Fairless out in Denver. We were, we were both right. on, on our own tracks, figuring out the world and figuring out apartment syndication. And uh, yeah. fast forward, here we are now. So it's excited to see you again and, and talk a little bit about this. And uh, Absolutely. why don't we start there? What, what really, what, what pushed you at that time to, to get into real estate and, and really take this journey? Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, um, I started investing passively in multifamily um, in 2016, early 2016 with Joe. Um, and um, when I started investing, I didn't really invest with a lot of knowledge in what I was doing, um, which was sort of a little unusual for me. I tend to be um, like many engineers, um, you know, very deep in the details and looking at things in five different angles. But Joe uh, and I met through a very, very close friend, a common close friend, um, and I, you know, trusted her enough to know that she would not recommend something or someone to me that uh, would be harmful to me in any way. Um, and um, a lot of my real estate experience prior to that had been mostly in, you know, really small single family duplex kind of stuff um, where the experience had been pretty mixed. And I wasn't really confident that real estate was the right place for me. So I said, you know what, let's give this a try. Um, I invested in, in one of uh, Joe's deals um, early 2016. It did really well. And then uh, I told my wife, you know, we need to do another one and see how that goes. <laughs> so we did one more. And I said, this is interesting. It's not just, it's um, a really good way to create an investment portfolio and not have to do that much work compared to the hassles I had back in Boston running a, being the landlord of a house. <laughs> um, uh, but it intrigued me uh, enough that I said, I need to learn about this a lot more. So um, I told Joe, I said, you know, tell me how I can learn. And he, you know, he sent me like this truckload of um, online links. <laughs> like, I think it was five page long PDF with names of books and, and things. And I said, okay, this is not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but uh, give me the top three. And he, you know, he said, okay, you know, read this, this, and this, and, and see what you think. So I just 
read those. I read those books. You know, one was, um, uh, interestingly enough, Commercial Real Estate for Dummies uh, by Peter Harris. Uh, have to start yeah. somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Great book, though. Yeah, uh-huh. it's great. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it actually yeah. intrigued me, right? Because another thing that connected me with that book was he himself was an engineer who transitioned into uh, multifamily. And he talked about how engineers in general tend to be so um, reticent about interacting with people. You prefer interacting with things, you know? Um, and uh, intrigued me enough, I said, you know, I'm going to study this more. So I read a couple of more books on his recommended list. And then here's what, what happened. Um, I uh, decided that um, I was going to approach Peter Harris and have him be my mentor if, you know, that's possible. So I started talking to, I tried to find people who had, you know, coached under Peter Harris and, um, and see if I could, you know, get some references to understand if his coaching program was good enough. Um, and while doing so, I discovered that Joe had been a student of Peter Harris. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. So I, I approached Joe and I said, what do you think? And he said, look, um, it was a great program at the time he did it. He said, you need to find out from people who are doing it now, whether that makes sense for you. Because the programs usually change, right? I mean, they, they yeah. don't remain static. And when I talk to people who do it now, the reviews were a little bit different because I think it's grown so much that he was no longer directly involved in the coaching. Uh, Understood. And my goal was I wanted to have a mentor who I could just pick up the phone and talk to, not, not go through three levels of assistant coaches doing that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So um, at that point, um, you know, I, I told Joe, I said, still looking for another one. He said, okay, I've started one as well. Here's it. It's very early stage. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're willing to sign up, you know, we'll work together on this. And um, I had already had a great relationship with by then as a passive investor. So just perfect. Let's do it. That's great. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you, you actually just segued into our next question and it's about mentors. So dive well, a little. Before we do, I would love to take oh, one step back. Ahead. So just because just we haven't really focused on this side very much is that being a passive investor in a syndication mm-hmm. would be, if this is something that would be maybe someone's interest because they don't want to have the active side of it, or maybe they have a full-time job and, and they're just looking for other means where they can diversify. What is right. something that stood out to you? It doesn't have to be about Joe, but if you were going to look for another syndicator out there, what would be some points right. to reference? What would be a good syndicator or someone that you would feel that this would be a good partnership? Um, so you're asking me what criteria I would use to sure. decide that. Okay. Great question. Um, mm-hmm. Really good question, by the way. Um, I think the topmost thing that I would look for, and, and reality is that my answer is going to be based on my business experience, where uh, being in the startup world, one thing I learned was you always invest in the people and not in the business. And so the first thing I would look for is the credibility um, and the principles and ethics followed by the promoter of the deal, the person who's doing the syndication. Um, if I know them personally, how well do I know them? Um, how much can I trust what they're telling me? Um, and the relationship I've built over time. If I don't know them as well, or I've never met them before, um, what can I learn about them? Right? What can I learn about them? What can I understand about the way they conduct their business, um, about the, um, the business plan they're following? But, but more so, how have they managed past deals and managed their relationship with their investors and have they always kept their investors up front and center first 
versus themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a, too often you find syndicators who present a deal that looks really interesting, but then when you dig in a little deeper, you find that they're keeping so much for themselves that it almost makes you feel that you're being shortchanged. Now, reality is yes, you might still be making an eight, nine percent return on it. But if you end up feeling that that person ended up making, I mean, let's say the returns were 20% and you made only 8%. Well, now it doesn't feel like a fair, I mean, I understand that the syndicator has to keep profits because that's why they're doing the business. Yeah. But it's, it's got to be fair reward for their sweat and their work. Um, but where I don't feel shortchanged. So that's another aspect I look for as well. Got it. So, it, you know, it all boils down to, really studying the promoters of the deal. That's the first thing. The second thing is what are my personal criteria on um, what returns I want from this deal, right? Um, I've seen deals where people have said, um, I can get you 40% returns. Now, many of these, these deals generally tend to be brand new developments. They're not the kind of deals that you, know, you and I tend to look for, which is sure. um, existing properties that we try to, reposition, but these are brand new. They've, they've bought a piece of land. They're going to do brand new construction. And I can understand that the profit margins generally tend to be higher there depending on the market. But I tend to be very cautious about that. So it's not just like I have a floor in terms of what the minimum um, return I want, but I also have caution when I see yeah. too high of a return. Yes. Right. Um, the and some of that caution, I, I would guess, is that duration of project, microcycles, uh, just capital involvement. Uh, Absolutely. Utilization. Okay, cool. Just yeah, yeah. This, I mean, the reality is, right? I mean, if I, if I invest in a brand new development in Dallas downtown or Boston downtown, just intuitively, I know that it's going to do well. The likelihood it won't do well is low just because of the kind of growth that is happening in these kind of cities. But if someone told me they were doing a brand new development in um, like a beach resort in Florida, well, it sounds great, but I also know that Florida got hit pretty badly yes. <laughs> when the recession hit. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there were people who put in million dollar condos and couldn't get $100,000 out of it. So I would be thinking like, you know, I don't know, 20 times before I put a step there. So the deal, you need to have some personal sense of what your risk profile is, much like stock investments, right? You, when you talk to a stock um, trading agent, that's what they'll tell you. What's your risk profile? Yeah. Are you looking for a really risky high growth thing? Are you looking for medium growth? So that kind of thinking has to happen beforehand. Um, and I, again, I have to be ashamed enough. I'm ashamed enough to say that I did not do that when I first invested. Um, I did it purely based on trust. That shows you the value of trust. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, it goes a long way too. But you know, if someone doesn't have that uh, that barrier or that entry point where they have the right person to help yeah. them along the way, so thank you. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So all you can do is trust when you first get into this business and exactly hope that yeah. you find the right people. That's right. Well, that was a fantastic answer. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much for that. All right. Now that I've detoured, I'll let Peter get back. <laughs> to right to his schedule. All right, so. Chop, chop, chop. Exactly. You know, I, I see her, see her kicking me here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Well, no, we ha- we actually okay. have not had that answer and that question on our yeah. show before. So thank you so much for that for that bit of information. That was yeah. definitely a huge value add for us and for our listeners. Plus, I guess you know, on the other part, you learned a lot from it. You know, on the active course would have been just thrown to the wolves here, just trying to get if you started on day one. But being on right. the side, you saw how other people were doing it, and you could factor to to do it your own way and take take the pieces you liked or the pieces that you feel you could improve or pieces you need more information on so absolutely and that was a good introduction to joe fairless who you ended up right with so let's dive a little deeper into the area of mentorship you said you were gonna you were looking for another mentor and you found out that joe who has been with you for a few years started up his own coaching program so dive a little deeper how did joe help you take the steps needed to become the investor you are today um, so here's, here's what's interesting, right? Um, you'll find coaching programs of all types. You'll find coaching programs. Um, in fact, if you look at Peter Harris's coaching program, it's a very comprehensive program. He's got tons and tons and tons of material, both written material, PDFs, videos, um, all kinds of stuff, right? And a, a lot of it is based on his own experience, but a lot of it is also based on theory, It's based on theory of what others have done and then trying to put that together in something comprehensive. So it's massive in nature. Now, for those people who have the tendency to really study things in deep detail and will not take a step until they've done that, until they're like, they feel they're experts theoretically before they'll take a practical action point. I think that kind of program is great, right? Um, Joe's program, what is different about it is that it's evolving as it goes along because what he's doing is he's put together some very basic functional ideas that have made him successful. And then he's fleshed them out just enough that you get a flavor of what you need. But then he's depending on your ingenuity, your creativity, your, um, your motivation to you know, dig into it as much as you want to and then go explore and figure it out. Just as an example, right? He, one of the things, exercises that he makes you do, and he won't let you go to the next step unless you've done it, is go make a list of 100 properties. Doesn't matter if they're on sale or not. And then go pound the pavement and actually go explore them, study them. That's great. And you're smiling, so I know you've uh, looked at that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I did maybe about 25% of it and I was exhausted. And I came back and told you, I said, you know, can we go to the next step? I'll keep doing this on the side. He's like, no, yeah. go finish that. And then let's talk. Uh, let's discuss your findings. And trust me, just doing that on the ground action and not reading about it, it was transformative because until then I, you know, I'd been reading a lot. I'd been talking to him. But when I started actually, I mean, a funny incident that happened to me, right? Um, it's, uh, I was at this property. I had uh, parked my car, got out of it, and walked up. And the gates were locked for this apartment uh, building. So I walked around it. I'm making you know, my notes. Um, I had a little notebook with me. I'm making notes around it. I'm walking around it. The next thing I know, a police car drives up. You know, with lights flashing, stops me and says, sir, what are you doing? So I said, I am just taking notes on what I see about this property. Why? So I tried to explain to him, look, I'm 
you know, I'm learning about this and he's, well, it seems someone from the building had noticed me and made a call to the police saying suspicious looking guy walking oh, around, no. has no business here. <laughs> and, um, you know, I spent like 15 minutes explaining to the police officer what I was up to. <laughs> and then he put his hand around my arm. He started just grinning away. He's like, okay, uh, my yeah. friend, here's what you, what you want to do. Sit in your car and do this. <laughs> and if you have to do this, figure out some reason that actually makes sense to someone else. <laughs> I would be like, man, like. How many how many robbers have a have a clipboard and a calculator and I would be like I, I'm, I'm probably the worst robber in history if that's what I am but uh, but uh, whatever you want to call me maybe it works so that's great. No, but it's understandable, right? It's understandable. People are paranoid, um, and there's it just takes one to you know. So you you get these weird experiences. And then when I went back and shared with Joe, he said, "Well, that's a new one," and but he's found in, instances where um, deals that he's been trying to work on. He's found suddenly there's a dispute with the property manager and some of the tenants go and camp. They set up a tent in front of the property to start protesting, protesting about it. And so it's like all kinds of weird things happen. And unless you encounter these weird things, they may or may not be relevant to actually getting a deal. But unless you encounter these weird things, you won't realize what the nuances are around a deal. Um, there's one deal that I went to where um, not a deal, sorry, it was a property in my list of 100, right? Which looked awesome. Literally, um, I think I walked down by less than like a minute and found there, was, there were ruins. There was this place that was in ruins. And the reality is when I started talking around people, it was basically an old factory that had shut down. There was a dispute around ownership and it had been going on for 15 years. Wow. The problem is the apartment building that I was looking at even though it was in great shape, it was finding it really hard to find tenants because of that, wow. that other uh, you know, shutdown factory, which was just literally down the street. So you can't see this from Google Earth. You can't figure this yeah. out. You can't figure this out from a spreadsheet. It looks great on, on paper. So you've given us so much just in what you've said right there. I mean, just what you said right there as being the boots on the ground, seeing the property. Yeah. You wouldn't have, like you said, you wouldn't have known that a block down the road, there yeah. were there were there was a factory in ruins. Right. And the other key point is that Joe made you start. He just right. made you just get started. Even right. if it wasn't a deal that you were ever gonna ever look at. Right. Even if it wasn't a deal. It was yeah. just getting started in real life. And that I mean you don't even have to and this is for our listeners out there. It's it's just that's not only for multifamily, that's for everything. Right. Like if you're getting into single family um, homes, whether it's wholesaling or, or flipping, just right. find 10 properties, put offers, like do yeah. the numbers and then put offers on them. Exactly. You don't have to, don't have to say yes to any of them. Exactly. Right. right. You get out there and take action. Yes, people take are worried action. that, well, there's always the what if. And what I love about this is, so the properties you're looking at are, are local, but the good part you're saying here is you could do this anywhere and you don't have to fly there, but you could find the boots in the ground or the partnership in the area or the management teams or, or the other partners that, that will help you along the way. Or there's plenty of people in bigger pockets or other people you can talk to because everything you said there is magical because you can find a great property but if it's by the the factory that's been down for 15 years or it's on the wrong side of the tracks or it's in the wrong school district or it doesn't matter how good it looks and how good it looks on paper you're always going to have something else bringing it down unless you're there or have somebody 
in that area to point that out to you, you you're always going to be at a disservice if you're going out of property. So no, also- in, in fact, just to add to that, what you just said, Jason, I think I loved it. Um, this is something that I would say every active investor. So this is not necessarily applicable to passive investors, but for every active investor, um, you want to have boots on the ground at least once, regardless of the market. Yeah. Right? I live in Dallas, which is where Dallas was easy. But at some point early in July, um, I decided to take a look at Cleveland, Ohio. And until then, I had been studying it on paper. I'd read all these, you know, what is it? Marcus Millichamp reports and REI reports. And it looked so rosy. It looked like a perfect <laughs> market for cash flow. And it probably is in certain circumstances. Yeah. But you do not, fig- you cannot figure out the circum- certain circumstances until you actually get down there. And I went there, spent two weeks there, two different weeks. And what I discovered made me realize that as an out-of-state investor, I was at a huge disadvantage in that particular market, in that particular style of investing that I was trying to do. That's great. So people from New York doing it and doing well. But it's much closer. It's easier for them to get down there. And the dynamics are a little bit different. But for me, coming all the way from Texas, I can't go there that often. Um, And um, the cash flow component has to be thought about a little bit differently than I think about in Dallas. So you learn a lot. You just learn a lot. I love Fantastic. it. Yeah. All great information. Yeah, it's great. And uh, it's huge because yeah, you can go to a market and it does look great. And within every market, whether it's a down market or an up market, there's some markets and those some markets, the down market, you'll have some markets that are doing phenomenal and just yeah. to be able to flush those out. So thank you. Great advice. Awesome. <laughs> so to take this a little bit further, how is your, what is your, where's your business at today? And what is its focus? Like, where's your focus right now? So at, at the moment, my business is um, purely as a fundraising syndicator, right? I have not um, um, actually done my own deal so far. And that was something that I, to be honest, I struggled with um, deciding what I was going to do first, whether I was going to go um, find my own deal, which is what I started off thinking I would do. And then I found that finding your own deal um, is, um, is, is something that is very desirable, but needs a lot more different things in it to, to make it come to fruition. And, and luck plays a little bit of a role there as well. In, in the meantime, what I realized was that I had started taking the, uh, the effort of talking to my friends and my network and educating them on what I was doing. And many of them had said, you know what, Ike, if you find a deal, we want to invest. You know, we trust you. You're doing a great job explaining to us what you're doing. We don't know anything about it. And it was like I'd already built that initial trust. But as time went by, I started finding them calling and saying, when's the deal coming? <laughs> and I said, I'm still looking for one. Yeah. <laughs> because at that, point, yeah, at that point, I had put, already put together the criterion that I was going to use. I couldn't find a deal in that criterion. In, and when in, they're looking in their savings account and saying, oh, well, well this month I made uh, less than 1%. Everything you're saying, <laughs> wow, yes. Mike, so where you at? Yeah. I said, I, I called Joe and I said, you know what? I need deals right now. I've got investors lined up. They're getting impatient. I'm going to start losing their attention unless I get a deal. And at that point where he said, well, you know what? Let's, let's do one thing. Um, I sometimes invite some of my... Uh, friends and, and uh, you know, some of the people who work with me in my coaching program to join me in a deal. 
to raise funds. So and like, sounds awesome. When's the next one? So he, you know, he, in, he invited me for the next one, which was in August. Um, it was an awesome deal. Um, you know, Joe and his partner, Frank, who run Ashcroft Capital, had already done all the legwork. Um, but the good thing was they'd done the legwork. They shared all of that with me. And I was able to evaluate the deal as though it was my own deal, which was awesome. I was able to do the financial analysis on it. I was able to go down. It was in Dallas. So I was able to go down and actually tour the property. I did it as, a, um, as an interested uh, tenant first. And then I went with Joe to, to talk about the, with the property manager as an investor. Um, so I got to see both sides of the coin. Nice. Um, I went with one investor who looked at it and said, hmm, this looks like a property that should be on the beach because they had some, I think some 15 buildings, every building in a different color, like bright, bright blue, bright yellow, bright like Miami green. and Dallas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. Um, and it just was a misfit for the demography of people that they were going after. So right there, I could see the repositioning, right? Mm-hmm. How we could take this upscale. Um, so a lot of the assumptions were, that were being made, were, I could see them in, in action that this, this is going to happen. This is going to you know, be irreal. Took this to my investors and in a matter of about two or three weeks, I had raised um, half a million. Nice. So I realized two things about myself. That um, number one, it's good to play with your strengths, right? To, to focus on that first before you try to do those things where you still have to build up your skills and knowledge. And clearly my network, the trust people had in me and the fact that I was able to um, clearly explain to them the value of the deal I was presenting, um, it helped me raise that money very quickly. So when I realized that I said, you know what, let me focus on this for some time. The fact that I'm building up a good network of investors who trust me to bring them good deals let me just do that. Let me find good deals that others are doing, bring that to my investors and build up that sense of credibility in what I'm trying to accomplish. And once I've done enough of that, when I do find my own deal, I have already built up the credibility for my investors to say, yeah, he's done it for others. He'll do it for himself. Yeah, that's great. That is fantastic information right there. Huge. Cause you look at it and there's so many different parts to this, but that's one aspect where you could focus strongly on your strengths and then let it grow into other points. Cause I remember doing our syndication where we're analyzing deal, where we're making sure our piece in place, we're putting together our construction plan, our takeover plan. We are this, we're raising money. We're getting our debt service. We've got everything else going on. We are flying, you know, left and right, trying to figure out all the roles as we grow into this. And, it, it was a lot. I mean, we, we got it done. You know, it was a great learning experience, but being able to focus on one aspect of it, I mean, we, we know how important that is. And that's yeah. what we've been trying to size it up. So awesome advice. Yeah. So talking a little bit about focus, could you give mm-hmm. us, for our listeners out there, could you give us some fundamentals on, on syndicating, on syndication? Um, all right. So when you say fundamentals in terms of the, the nature of the deal or? Uh, uh, just the nature of what you do. What I do. Okay. So, what so, is syndication? What is syndication? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so very simply put, um, syndication is basically similar to a mutual fund. Think of it the same way, right? Um, but there's one big difference. So a mutual fund basically puts together stocks in you know, a whole variety of different companies based on some theme. The mutual fund might be, let's say, um, steel industry oriented and it'll have stocks of different steel companies, or it might be diversified in say these three industries, or it might just be on a particular, um, or it might have a theme about 
you know, we want to have a diversified uh, set of stocks in um, that all grow at 10%. So there are all these different themes, right? There's a similar thing called REITs that are exactly the same as mutual funds where, you know, you put together a fund and then they invest it in other people's deals that then give them a sort of return. The big difference in syndication and REITs is that syndication is usually for a specific property. It's, it's very similar to a fund, but you're raising it for a specific property. And the big advantage is that when you're, as an investor, as a passive investor, when you invest in a syndicated deal, you are actually becoming an equity owner in a specific property. While when you do it in a fund, you're becoming an owner, a shareholder of a fund that may hold 10 other properties. So you may, you're effectively, yes, you're effectively a point percentage owner of all those other properties or all those other stocks. But here, you can say that if I've invested in, let's say Jason and Pili have done, I know you guys did a deal recently, right? Yes. Yeah. So if someone invested in your deal, they know that they actually are a property owner in the asset that you have put together. And that creates a sense of better confidence that now I feel like there's an actual asset behind the money I've put in. There's an actual operator who I can hold accountable and not simply one who is a person who's just going around placing money in, in a whole bunch of things. So it's uh, the pros and cons to everything, obviously. But the reason why I like it and why my investors like it is because of the fact that it's much more intimate in nature. Yes. Right? I, I'm literally every month telling my investors, the, uh, the paint has, you know, we've decided what paint we're going to put on the property. Right? Those, those greens and blues and yellows are going to change. Um, we just changed the name of the property. We just got um, the new siding on one of the buildings. You know, this building is going to get a new roof or we just changed all the appliances and put in stainless steel appliances. It's so much more intimate. It's almost like owning a single family house, just not, not doing it. And instead of one single family house, I'm a part owner of 200 units in an apartment complex. Yep. So and you're able to grasp from the economies of scale too. So, which is amazing. Exactly. I love that. That's great. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for that information. Yeah. Sure. So if someone was thinking about a fund, would, would, what are some of the disadvantages of a fund versus disindication? Um, and I know that's, uh, you're just doing a syndication, so I'm sorry. Yeah, to yeah. No, that's not, it's, it's a good question because I've actually had that question being put to me. And in fact, I have one investor who is after me to set up my own fund. Um, so I'm, I've been researching it. Um, there are pros and cons to funds, right? The, the biggest disadvantage of a fund is that it's very hard to hold accountable the promoters and the owners of a deal because you really are a really fractional player in that deal, right? If, you're gonna, if you have a fund of, let's say, $500,000 and your goal is to never have more than 10% in any one deal, now you really have put in just $50,000 in a deal and the $50,000 is from a fund that may have 100 people in it, hmm. right? So yes, it gets more people into a fund, but then gets each of them such a really small slice that um, there's a less of a sense of ownership. The second thing is that fees start accumulating, right? Because it's not simply the deal promoter who'll take fees. The deal promoter is going to take the fees for the acquisition, for the asset management, um, you know, and for the refinancing and all of that stuff, the fund, the people who are managing the fund, someone has to actively manage the fund. That person's also going to take fees to manage the fund on your behalf. 
So just like a mutual fund manager, right? And which means now there's more fees eating into your investment than if you were directly invested in that asset. So those are the disadvantages. But just to point out, there are advantages, right? It's, it's not black and white. The advantages are that you are really diversified. If that fund says that I'm going to invest in a, an apartment building, an office building, a self-storage unit, um, a warehouse, uh, assisted living, now your $50,000 that you've put into this fund has gone into 10 different types of assets and really r- mitigated your risks dramatically. If any one asset type fails, you're not at sea. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sure. that. So with your business now, where do you see yourself going over the next five years? You know, it's, it's going to be an evolving business. It's, it's new enough and I'm learning so much along the way that I don't think I have locked down the exact formula I'm going to follow. Um, it's very likely, it's very possible that um, I might just find so much success in being a pure syndicator that I might just keep doing it. I might just keep you know, growing my investor database, um, you know, building up those trust relationships and then uh, become a trusted partner of deal promoters, people who are finding deals, people like yourself and tell you, you know, I've got a huge investor database here of people who trust me. And if you and I can build a trusted relationship, it's mutually beneficial. So that's one very good possibility of where I might go. Um, I still haven't completely ruled out finding my own deal, by the way. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things, right? Where you, you know, you've got this target in your head, you start with and you, it's hard to get over it. Um, so I'm not going to give up on it completely. Um, but I think I'll probably set a timeline for myself because as I said, you know, I'm trying to play to my strengths and not get caught up in a situation where I let that suffer because I'm going after this unicorn that maybe, maybe it's not the right fit for me. I don't know yet. Um, nice. If I find the right partner, if I find someone who compliments my skills, maybe it'll work out. I love that. Uh, That's awesome. What's, what's something in the business so far that's been a setback or a learning experience? Setback or a learning experience. Yeah. All right. So um, in this specific multifamily business, right? So the latest deal that I syndicated, I think the biggest setback was that I overestimated what I could achieve. And that again, taught me the value of building up a wider list of trusted relationships. In terms Um, of how much money you could raise. Yeah, exactly. I, because my initial um, venture went so well, I, thought, you know what, it's just a matter of time. I'll just keep building on that and I, my ratio will work out perfectly and I'll get the money in. And I found in this, in this, this latest deal that I did that a lot of people, in, very well-meaning people backed out at the last minute and I had not built up enough of a backup plan Got it. how I would deal with that. So I ended up finding that I spent a good month in raising money, feeling on top of the world <laughs> in the last week. Um, some significant players dropped out for personal reasons, mm-hmm. not because they lost trust in me, but just things happen, right? Correct. Yes. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, you know, I'm stuck now. I don't know what to do. Um, took a deep, calm breath. I said, okay, I still have three more days. Um, there, here are these 20 people I've not spoken to. Um, let's pick up the phone and call. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. I picked up the phone and called them. Um, one out of the 20 actually picked up the phone. The remaining went to voicemail. I said, Ah, so I immediately said, all right, I'm going to send them an email, a well-crafted email that says, you know, you and I, we've talked about this in the past. I've never been able to bring a deal to you. Um, and one of the reasons was most deals were going packed 
this deal unexpectedly space has shown up here are the details give me a call i literally have 3 days uh, to fit you in if you have if you want to do it and um, lo and behold a few of them called me back and um, it worked out eventually but it may not have yeah so it's it was it was very close it is an awesome lesson awesome thing you said there is that you just, you got to continue to be raising money and, and right. over raising for your project is not a bad thing because exactly. just like you said, we had on our first one, um, someone's wife had, had started a business and they hadn't realized the tax implication at the end of the year. So all of a sudden they're psyched to invest and all of a sudden they got this tax bill and they go, Oh, whoa. <laughs> and it was just, they felt so bad about telling us. So they kind of put it off. They, they were just, they whatever, just thought, oh man, maybe we can make this work. And in the end, they just couldn't. But it was just one of these things where right. we, we were stuck having to just recoup or just get to that point. It had nothing to do with the deal or anything else. Yeah. Personal things came up. So great fact, if you're listening to that out there, when you're yeah. waiting for a deal, don't just raise the exact amount because things are going to change very quickly and you don't want to be stuck at the last kind of scramble. Yeah. Build a waiting list. That's what I've learned. Build a waiting list. Um, you might even have, I actually had a person who signed the PPM and then told me the exact date he was going to send the check and then never did. And then when I followed up, he said, oh, I'm sorry. I decided I couldn't do it because of X, Y, and Z reason. Perfectly valid reason. Yeah. He just forgot to tell me and I had depended <laughs> on that. And that will happen. <laughs> I love it. It just will. Oh, it's amazing. Well, why don't we dig a little deeper into, into you, Ike? Okay. What is your big why? What is my big why? Um, why do you do this? You know, I think the, the first one is, um, is passion. I just developed a passion for um, commercial real estate, especially apartment buildings. Mm, something that I had not expected. I, I had always enjoyed reading about real estate and I always enjoyed dabbling in it in the single family space, you know, a little bit of duplex condos, but never really took it seriously. It was just something that I did as a little side thing, which brought me income actually did not because I lost money in the, in the crash in 2008. But what I found when I started learning about apartment buildings is that commercial real estate is, is fascinating on so many different levels. It, the, from a financial perspective, obviously, it's the economies of scale that is huge that you really cannot underestimate. But then um, you're, you're really putting together um, an investment in something that is of such huge value to so many people who are consuming that thing, right? If it's an apartment building, there are real families living there. There are people who live there who depend on it. Um, I myself, when I moved from Boston to Dallas, I went and lived in an apartment building um, for a year, actually two years before I found a, a house. And it gave me a new appreciation for an apartment community. You know, we think of neighborhoods as a community, but apartment community is also a community. People build relationships and those relationships carry on. I still am in touch with the property manager of the, the apartment building I, I lived in. Um, and that is even before I decided to go into it as a business myself. I just stayed in touch because we built a great relationship. Did you ask the property manager if the building was for sale? Well, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got it. <laughs> I haven't, um, but uh, I should. You're right. I should. Um, That's right. That was, that was, the, the, the only thing that, you know, um, 
the only thing that you have to be careful about is is that you don't want to do it purely from a pure money perspective money is very important for sure but i fear when i have i've come across deals and and promoters who i would never do business with who i fear in their um eagerness to purely follow the financial uh, gains um they either end up doing unethical things or they end up undercutting on services um or they do things that make life hard for the tenants of your apartment building and what happens is if that is an area of um with housing shortages people don't have a choice they'll have to live there but if you make their life tough i think you're somehow not being true to your soul yeah and it'll come back eventually i don't know how it'll come back it'll come back eventually yeah. so as i said what i like with the why is i have an ability here to impact people positively right in at a much larger scale than if i did it one by one that's great yeah the, what's an actual step if you're a new real estate brand new maybe this is the first thing you're listening to that a new investor could take today to mm-hmm. get active in real estate syndication any part of real estate what, what would be something that you would do right now if you were brand new start talking to people right start talking to people even before you start reading about it um what i found is that reading gives you a lot of good information and you want to do it for sure you want to read about it you want to read books you want to read blogs you want to listen to podcasts all of that but talking to people who are actually doing it one on one is far more valuable um and talk to many don't talk to just one because you might end up talking to the first one who might not be very encouraging in fact the very first person i spoke to was not encouraging <laughs> yeah it's a very tough business too many people in it you know it you don't get the good deals anymore stay away from it yeah and if i just stop there i'm like you know it just wouldn't have worked out no, but true. there are always the naysayers yeah. there are always people who are trying to protect their turf because they think one more new player is going to make it tough the reality is it's all about expanding the pie it's not about uh, you know stealing business um but talk to people talk to as many as you can talk to different kinds of people right talk to people who are investors talk to people who are um, deal makers property managers construction people and just learn as much as you can to get a sense get a real gut feel a sense of this, this appeals to you if it appeals to you then the next step is start learning about it yes. start you know reading about it and then think about whether a mentoring program a coaching program is right for you or not that's great nice nice so we have a one more question before we well a couple more questions before you we let you go what okay. are some words that you live by what are some words that i live by you know it's um um uh, i um encountered this um this person who follows uh, buddhist principles in their life and he said something very interesting he said when faced with some kind of challenge in your life approach it with great faith great doubt and great determination and uh, it's fascinating if you think about that it is so many layers of meaning there you know uh, you're you're trying to be true to um your faith in in yourself your faith in the people you you who work with you the your family um in in being able to achieve your goals and yet um when you say great doubt it's not you're doubting yourself but sort of think about how 
um, you can protect both the yourself as well as the people on whose behalf you're working, right? When I invest in a deal, I am representing my investors. So even if Joe's my really good friend or you're my really good friend, if I'm bringing other people's money, people who trust me, yeah. I want to make sure that I am taking the approach of, you know, trust, but verify, right? Yeah. It's, so there's a, there's a business angle too. I mean, I'm sure he was talking from a purely spiritual angle, <laughs> but there is a, you know, a lot of applications to this, this thing. And then great determination is you can't give up. That's You're right. likely going to fail. You're likely going to fail many, many times in many different ways. Maybe not overall, but in small little things. But you have to be determined to just carry through um, as long as you truly believe in it. Love nice. that. Thank love you. That. Love that one. Well, like if people would like to learn a little bit more about you or reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah. You know, I, um, I live right now on my podcast, you know, it's called the side business show Love it. and, um, you can go visit it at the side or you can write to me at Ike at the side show. Awesome. Nice. Well, awesome. thank you so much for all your information. Ike. Yeah, that was, was fantastic. Great. Thank you. And I, I truly appreciate what you guys are doing and, you know, you guys are inspiration, right? I mean, we met, you know, we were at the early stage, but the fact that you guys have achieved this together as a couple, you're inspiring. And I love you guys. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so very much. Right. Well, thank you so much, Ike. And this is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again to Ike for being on our show. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. We are so grateful. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Bye, Ike. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.